Welcome to the Ideal Investor Show. This is the podcast where we help you challenge your mindset and discover where you are. Tired of stories about other people's success? We can help you change your life, determine your time freedom point and join us on the journey to financial success. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ideal Investor Show where we continue our series about the odyssey of investing that I went through and am still going through to broaden the horizon, get better understanding, learn more and get better and better in how to apply our strategies and philosophies about value investing in the real world and also find additional new opportunities. But at the same time, reflecting back on things that have occurred since I started this investing journey around 2003 and onwards beyond that to now and going forward. And so today I want to talk to you about something that we would call weathering the storm or storms for that matter. And you know, if you have been a subscriber or you have been actually listening to episodes or watching videos or other podcasts and things like that, or maybe read some of the articles that I'm writing, that our whole strategy and philosophy revolves around longevity, the long-term view, the generational legacy building wealth, the journey to the time freedom point that I tell people from day one, you have to assume it's anywhere between seven to 10 years. And if you don't have a huge income and not everything works out perfectly, it might take even a little longer. On the flip side, obviously, I'm saying this right up front in transparency up front. But the reason I do it is because I would love to have people that are 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years old, where we can say, well, even if it takes 12 years, so then you're 57 or you're 47 or you're 38 or something like that. And then you're basically at a point where you reach time freedom. That's why we call it the time freedom point, where you have the total freedom to decide what you want to do with your time, which could be the same thing you're doing at that point, or it could be something completely different that makes no money, but is super, super fun because you know the investments you have done to that point hopefully with our help, have gotten you the amount of passive income that will continue to grow for as long as you live and then you turn it over to your next generation. It will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and become more and more valuable and more and more passive income generating to allow you the freedom to do whatever you like and not have to worry about money anymore. So with that in mind, what are the storms that we need to weather and how do we weather them? Now, I give you a few examples that I have lived through. One of the storms was the dot-com bust. And I wasn't very well prepared, and I'm going to tell you in a moment what happened there. Then we had the financial crisis, or the great financial crisis, kind of like 2008, 9, 10, in about that time. Um, and then we have kind of like what's going on right now with this whole pandemic crisis and the subsequent reactions by the government and the massive printing of money and the massive increase of real estate prices and stuff like that. So those would be like three example uh, storms that had to be weathered. And how did I do and how did we do as, as a community? So I will use my own example. When the internet came out and I was kind of impressionable. I was still in the military and I was kind of fascinated by all this new technology because my job flying highly, highly sophisticated fighter jets 
really required because I was in test flying to understand technology in depth. And because of that, it created a certain fascination that allowed me to go to really, really high-end engineering companies in California and Texas to learn how these black boxes called computers actually help a fighter jet to work better and make us more successful in case there was an enemy that we needed to fight. So my interest was triggered. And when I saw all these other new opportunities for regular people, not people with like security clearances in the military, but regular people making enormous benefits and profits and new things using the internet and new, using digital technology and software, I was fascinated. And so while still in the military, we built a little small group of other people in my community that were also fascinated and we invested small amounts of money in these internet companies. And one thing that I learned from that was that we were getting really almost high as if you had taken drugs on observing how the perceived value of our investments was increasing. So every week when we came together, the first thing was to say, okay, how is our portfolio doing? What have we found on new opportunities and how much are we going to invest in those new opportunities? And then finally, what do we expect these new opportunities to generate in additional profits? And so in my case and the case of five or six other people that we had in our group, we started really, really small with like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars and we kept in investing. And I calculated at the very end, like around 2001 or so, 2002 maybe, we had each invested somewhere in the area of $15,000, very slowly <clears throat> over time. But at the height, each of our portfolios, which were looking very, very similar, because in most cases when the little group said, okay, we make an investment, we all went out and made the same investments to most of us, the same amount of money because we were all having kind of very similar jobs and very similar income and so forth. Now, at the height of that journey, <clears throat> our portfolios had gotten in the area of $75,000 of value. So we felt like we had beaten the system. We knew everything. We were basically rock stars. And within a period <clears throat> of about seven months, it pretty much went to zero. Now, you could argue, on the one hand, we lost those $15,000 that we had invested over a period of about three or four years. So that was our loss. But it really felt like we each lost $75,000. And two things I want to take from that as weathering the storm was, number one, we did not weather that storm. And the reason we did not weather that storm is because we had lost perspective. And that was a lesson that I have learned and have applied ever since like the early 2000s for the last 20 plus years is always on a regular basis, step back and take a look at the big picture. Because in this hype, in this almost like drug-like um, high feeling, whenever it came to investing in stocks, we completely lost perspective and we could not, I think we were all intelligent enough, but we could not see the writing on the wall that this astronomical increase was untethered from any reality. So instead of taking profits when we had reached 60 or 65 or even $70,000, we were convinced 
the time that stocks would ever be able to go down was done, would never happen again, and we would only be winners and our tiny little investment would make us millionaires. So we didn't weather that storm. But one thing I learned from it is we had no control. That rapid deterioration of value from $75,000 to almost zero was completely out of our control. And what I learned from that, number one, like I said, is keep big picture perspective. But number two, try in the future to invest in things where you have much more or total control. And that's how real estate investing started. Now, what occurred was that our investments in real estate ever since after the uh, dot-com bust had to weather storms too. And this goes to my tenant that I am now preaching for the last 20 years to always look at investing in value in investing especially as a very long-term generational approach. So we had investments in 2005, 6, 7 and throughout the whole time. But the market, as anybody who is familiar with it, or maybe in your family you actually experienced yourself, had a complete collapse because of these ridiculous mortgage things and stuff like that around 2008, 9, 10. The issue was, did you really have to let go of the assets that you had acquired and did you have control? So in our case, we had control because we owned these assets that we had invested in. So we could decide... Do we sell it? No, we wouldn't because the market was collapsing. Are we going to rent it? Are we just going to hold it? Have we kept enough reserves to pay the mortgage even if nobody is living in the property? All those kind of things, all those provisions. And what that actually resulted in is that we learned how to weather that storm for one, to step back and have big picture perspective, for number two, have sufficient reserves, and for number three, have enough control how to use the asset when the use that we had originally identified, for example, to have long-term renters. We had the freedom to say we want short-term renters. We had the freedom to say we let company people live in the house and no longer have people move into it that want to live there with their families and so forth. Now, admittedly, it was a small portfolio and it was a little easier to handle, but we did not get ever into the position where we had to even consider selling the house, which most millions of people had. So we weathered the storm by being prepared, by having control and by having the big picture in mind. We ultimately, by the way, sold that initial house that made it all the way through that storm and converted it into more, I think, five or six houses afterwards, like in 2015, 16 or something like that. So we weathered the storm, we gained additional appreciation in that property and then used the equity, which is, by the way, if you really think about it, the ideal approach, we made income, we used the depreciation, obviously, in our tax return. The equity kept growing as the market was recovering. Appreciation, the value of the house itself, kept growing. And we had it leveraged with a mortgage. And ultimately, when we sold it, it had generated so much equity and appreciation that we could buy five or six new houses. Now, we didn't pay them all off. We bought them and put mortgages on them as well to follow the ideal approach. But we weathered that storm. And now when we think about the pandemic time, which is the third example, how did we weather that storm, is even more focused on what are the rules. And I have to say, I don't necessarily want to pretend 
that I know better than other people. But what I have seen is that oftentimes those in charge do not step back and look at the full picture. And what do I mean by that? When the pandemic hit, most of you will still remember that the government said people who have mortgages and live in properties that are residential properties, and those are residential mortgages, can basically stop paying the mortgage, let their mortgage lender know, and wait until the government says you now have to pay again, and then whatever the amount of time is during which they didn't pay will be added to the mortgage. So what does that mean? If we were five years into a 30-year mortgage in early 2020, and for the following 18 months, the government said, you don't have to pay a mortgage, then those 18 months would be added to our 30 years. So it's not really a 30-year mortgage, it's a 31-and-a-half-year mortgage. And that time in the middle, you're not going to get punished for or anything like that. And I think this is completely reasonable, completely makes sense, everything. But those in charge did not look at this in a full picture, fully understanding what they were doing. They were just blanketly saying residential mortgages for houses that are for residential use can be exempt from mortgage payments for the time that we have this national emergency. Now, what did that mean for us? It meant that we could apply and get permission not to have to pay for our residential mortgages in our investment properties because nobody in the community of people in charge had paid attention that there are houses that are being used for rent, regular single-family houses that people rent and that the owners have mortgages on. So when everybody was whining about what do I do if my tenants don't pay, because they lost their job, because their restaurant or their company closed down during the pandemic, they could not pay. And I cannot evict them because the government said, you cannot evict them. I said, we don't want to evict them. They have been good tenants and they're going through hard times. And we're helping them to weather that storm because we told our mortgage company, we want to apply this rule that applies for all residential mortgages for residential properties. And so we had basically a system where the tenants did not have to pay. We did all the homework to get permission not to have to pay the mortgage. And therefore, we could allow our tenants to stay. Now, I can tell you in our particular case, for me and my family, our tenants, for the very most part, like in the 90% area, kept paying their rent. But fundamentally, how did we weather this particular storm? Number one, all our assets, all our real estate investments, had we had complete control over it. We even, if you think about it, allowed the people in our property management companies to continue to have a job because that was still needed. People were still living in those houses, right? So that's one. We had control. We learned and studied in detail what were the rules and how were the fundamental rules changed by the government in response to the crisis and what does it mean for us. And so we applied for every single mortgage, even the one for our own house that we lived in, to get that permission, if needed, to not have to pay the mortgage and add the time to the end of the term. 
And then number two, even though we didn't go out advertising that we didn't want our tenants to pay the rent anymore, but if anybody needed help because they lost their job or had no more income or couldn't apply for anything from the government, then we could give them relief without losing anything, especially without losing control over our asset. And so those are three examples on how to weather the storm and what the overall lesson is for that how to weather the storm or any storm that comes in the investment um, scenarios and, and world that we're in is you have to have maximum control. You have to be willing to step back and look at the big picture. And you have to really be a student of all the rules and all the things that apply to be prepared not to take advantage, but to apply. And when you do those three things consistently, I recommend to do this at least once a month or if there's a crisis, basically almost on a daily basis, you might not have anything else to do anyway, then you can weather the storm. And interestingly enough, if you go into history and look at how did people that we know to be extremely successful become such success stories, you will find that most of them had a plan on how to deal with adversity. And that's what we do as ideal investors. That's what I've learned as in this part of the odyssey of investing. And if this sounds interesting to you, if you want to be prepared, if you want to step back and look at the big picture, if you want to have awareness of how the rules that are being made by those in charge can be used so that you can maintain your assets even in a crisis, then I would invite you to go to idealinvestorshow.com Hit the button there, set up a call. Let's have a conversation. Let's see if you like it, if you have a vibe, if you like the way we work and, and what you've heard to be confirmed in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then maybe you join us either in investing or joining any of our programs. And I look forward for that to happen. So please take action, go to the site and set up a call. That's it for today. Be well, stay safe, and I talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.